Uh, good morning. If you're in the foyer, uh, please make your way in for adult Sunday school class. It's uh, time for us to start. I'll give you a few minutes to make your way in. It's good to see everybody. Hope you all had a good holiday. We certainly did. A little bit under the weather on my end, but uh, all in all, it was great. It was great to have family and to enjoy the Christmas season, to uh, spend time with family and friends. So, Anyway, let's uh, open with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get started. Father God, we thank you for the privilege we have to open your word, that we have an opportunity to look at this man Moses and how you uniquely called him to lead his nation out of a very uh, interesting time in Jewish history. And so we pray, Lord, as we take the time to look at this, that you would give us insight and wisdom, and we thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So a uh, couple of Sundays ago uh, during the class, I uh, made a point of distinguishing between um, karma and what goes around comes around, or, you know, that those are two, two phrases that are kind of rooted in Buddhism. And, um, and then it was brought to my attention by a person that, well, what do we do with the scripture that says uh, you reap what you sow? And so I did a little bit of uh, digging into that, and I'd like to, again, reiterate what karma is. is it's from the Buddhist religion. Uh, Buddhism is, at its root, atheistic. There is no God. It's an endless cycle of trying to prove yourself and to get rid of all the evil in your life, and then eventually you dissolve into nothingness. Uh, at least that's how I understand Buddhism in what I've read and, and studied. So there is no God. There's no one to judge you. There's no one to say um, that, you know, you can do this. It also, by following that, uh, what goes around comes around, or, the, or that's his karma, or ah, karma got him, or any of those phrases that we may glibly uh, throw around. It also is this idea of reincarnation, which we know is not a scriptural um, uh, issue in that and in fact it, it leads away from Christianity in, in that and like I mentioned who is the judge of whether or not what you've done is good or bad in, in, in Buddhism it doesn't exist because there is no God and so there's no sense of justice there's no sense of, of uh, righteousness in that so for the Christian uh, we, we need to see that our, our identity what comes into our life is passed and been filtered through God's hands that he is not going to allow something to come into our life that he doesn't uh, already know about. And so to, to use those phrases, I think, is something we as Christians need to, to get away from uh, using the term what goes around comes around or your karma. And so anyway, now to, to look at this passage here in Galatians is where it's at. And if you'd like to turn there, you're more than welcome. Uh, it's chapter, uh, Galatians uh, chapter 6. And it's, uh, we'll start in verse 7. And again, if you'll remember the book of Galatians, is Paul's um, um, writing to the church there at Galatia. The church at Galatia had some issues about people that were trying to still incorporate the, the Judaism into Christianity. Uh, they wanted the Christians to abide by the law. And so he writes this, this challenge to them, and this is at the end of the book. It comes after the fruits of the Spirit, which are listed at the end of chapter 5. And 
which isn't untypical of Paul's letters, a lot of times he, as he draws to the end of the letter, he gives, if you will, all these bullet points of things to be aware of, things to do, people to greet, people to say hello to. And he, you know, it's like this, as he's trying to get as much into the letter as he can. And he does that here in Galatians. And so we get to this passage, and I'll read it. It says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for good of all, especially of those who belong to the household of faith or fellow believers in that. So one of the points I want us to look at is this idea of reaping and sowing. Reaping is the idea, or sowing is the idea of planting, and it's the idea of being intentional. If you talk to any farmer, he doesn't stay at home. He goes out and he intentionally plants X, whatever that may be. It may be wheat, corn, beans, but he just doesn't go and look at his field and go, huh, oh well, whatever's going to be is going to be. He's intentional about what he's doing in that, and that's what this passage is trying to Paul is trying to get them to understand is one of the ideas is that a man, what he sows, is intentional. It's what we do matters in life. And then the idea of sowing or reaping is the idea of gathering in. Um, all of you guys that are farmers and those of us who aren't, we understand that, you know, you get to the fall, you got to go harvest, you know, and a lot of you guys are gone. I understand, you know, you're plowing up and harvesting and all that other fun stuff and tr big tractors, you know. You drive all night long. Anyway, but uh, um, so it takes time. And again, it's intentional. You're, you're gathering in what you've taken the time to produce. And so part, the bulk of this passage is the idea that our lives are intentional and we need to recognize that. It's not, it's not random. It's not uh, fate, if you will. There's a term in the secular world. Oh, just whatever fate brings me, you know, and, and there used to be a magazine years ago called Fate, and it de dealt with a lot of nihilistic uh, ideas and concepts about, you know, that all we have is this life right now and that. So it's not that idea, but God is, you know, it's our lives should be intentional in what we do. And if we do, you know, we, we intentionally do evil, then bad things are going to happen to us you know we see that we see that in the paper we see that in in people's lives that we know that they've that they've intentionally done things and they're going to reap as a result they're going to take in what they have done as a result of that kind of behavior and that and then the idea is uh it starts out is number seven don't be deceived god is not mocked god is the ultimate authority in that he is the one that judges he is the one that passes out judgment in that and if you'll remember, when I was talking about this, it was uh, in relationship to Joseph. And Joseph did not have any um, sins recorded of him, and yet he had all these things that came into his life. He didn't earn any of those. What went around didn't come around to him. He lived a good life, and yet a lot of bad things came into his life. And that's why it's important that we steer away from that kind of understanding of how God brings things into our lives. It's much more important that we recognize that God is what allows things into our life and brings things into our life a lot of times to shape us, to mold us. He is the one that uh, brings out justice. 
it isn't just random events that take place in our lives that um, that are going to transpire to to what goes around comes around type of mentality. So um, hopefully that kind of cleared up something, and hopefully it kind of answered uh, what this passage in Galatians is. If you come across that in the future, uh, before I go on with the lesson, is there any thoughts or comments or anybody disagree with me? We can talk about. Yeah. 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 Right. Yes. Yes, yeah, good point. Right. Right, yeah. Yeah. And that's how God goes. So anyway, I made a point of that. I don't want to belabor it too much. And actually there's another good example and that's the example of of christ christ lived a perfect life and yet he suffered death on the cross and so it's important for us to recognize that that there's you know the the flip side of all that and uh anyway i thought i would you know kind of clarify that if i could um what this scripture here in uh, galatians is talking about um and it's that whole idea is that you know our intentionality in life matters in that and that's what we're talking about so anyway um okay let's uh go to galatia or uh exodus now we're going to look at the life of uh, moses his calling is where we're going to start with exodus chapter three and you have some outlines there hopefully if you don't raise your hand and we'll get you one angela you're being paged <laughs> Angela was my hinder outer person today, and she did a most excellent job. Are we out? You got a few more? Okay, great. Appreciate it. And we're uh, starting in chapter three. Um, most of us understand the life of, uh, or have heard about the life of Moses. He. Uh, was born at a time when uh, the Egyptians decided it was time to get rid of a bunch of uh, Jewish babies, Israelite babies, because there was too many of them. They were too prolific. They were too strong. And in the case of Moses, his mother uh, tried to protect him. And so she did by placing him in the Nile River, which, you know, if you think about that, you might have to be a little bit desperate because they're uh, rather large crocodiles in the Nile River and yet she felt confident enough to place him in there and she left one of her daughters there to care for him and to look after him uh, to make sure nothing um, bad happened to him. He was taken by an Egyptian princess, the queen I believe, and raised in the house of uh, the pharaoh and so he had uh, from an early age 
Moses had an understanding of the Egyptian way and also of the Jewish way because he also was uh, raised in his own mother's household by happen chance, or actually God worked it out, and, and we see that. So we get to, uh, and then in his life, he, uh, in his zeal to protect his people, he killed a man. Um, he decided to flee uh, rather than face the justice of the land at that time, and so he fled to the land of Midia, um, uh, which is to the east and south, I believe, kind of on the uh, Sinai Peninsula it would be, if uh, you remember your map of the Holy Land. And so he was living down there as a sheep herder and uh, out in the wilderness, you know, he married uh, a gal that was down there, a Midianite, and uh, his father's uh, father-in-law's name was uh, Jethro. So anyway, we, we kind of get to this point here in Exodus chapter 3 now, um, and we'll start reading in verse 2 in that. And it says, uh, let me find, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. <clears throat> Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors, and I know about their suffering. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So there's a couple of things to um, observe about this um, passage that we just read. And one thing I listed in your notes there, um, and I won't read the whole thing, but the last sentence is, and although his name is not mentioned, the Exodus story cries out Jesus on page after page is therefore fundamental to the gospel. And that's the idea that Christ rescues us. God, in this case, is rescuing them. So we see again this picture of Christ in Jesus rescuing and is personified in the idea of God rescuing his people from, this, uh, from the, the Egyptians at this point in history. So that's an important important point to remember sorry about that anyway so that was one thing I'd like to bring out um, we know that uh, that you know Moses is out there I think it's unique and one thing I observed as I was reading this passage is God met Moses where he was at he didn't tell Moses oh by the way you need to go over here here and here to get to me and most other religions do that God, on the other hand, went to where Moses was at and said, here I am, do this. And uh, I think in one of the commentaries I have in your notes, it talks about the idea that he, he did not 
when God uh, talked to him out of the burning bush, he lowered his eyes as a, as a sign of uh, respect to a superior being. And that which in, in that Asian culture, that East Asian culture there, not East Asian, Asian culture, that would be the correct way for him to behave. And so he, he did that in how he responded to him. I think it's interesting that even though Moses up to this point, according to the scriptural record, has not had any real interaction with God. And yet he recognizes who this is. We look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out from the bush, Moses, Moses. And he answered right away, here I am. And that, So he had a recognition of who God was instantly, if you will. He didn't um, question what was going on. And, that, and then, of course, God goes on and talks to him out of this burning bush to, um, to, to describe what he wants to do in that. There's, uh, I think I listed this in your notes, and I'll kind of go through it. God uh, uh, is an infinite being. Um, when he says, remember his covenant promises, uh, that's the idea. He hasn't forgotten them, but he's going to act upon them. Uh, we know that God is all-knowing or omniscient, and uh, he's all-powerful, he's omnipotent, in that he has this power so he can do these things. And so we see God acting in that capacity here. It's not that he forgot him, it's just that he's going to act now in their behalf. And he's going to use Moses as his man. And it's interesting that he called Moses. He went to a man out in the wilderness, if you will, and he called him. And Moses recognized that, at least, that this was God calling him. And I thought that was interesting there's some other things about God's character his infinite character he's compassionate we see that reflected in that observe the in verse 7 I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and heard them crying out because of their oppressors and I know their sufferings God knows it he's he he's aware of it he's not distant but he's actually involving himself in their lives he's he's uh, understanding them if you will he's attentive he uh, hears and responds to the prayers of his children. He heard their cries. He's not, again, like I said, he's not out there in some distant thing, but he, he's very aware of what's going on. And then final point on his infinite character, he is faithful in that he uh, always does what he says he will do. He's always on time. might not be our time, but it is the perfect time because God is perfect in what he does. And we see that, again, reflected in this passage. Um, one of the uh, doctrines that we come that is essential that we see here, and I have that listed in your notes too, is God is infinite. God's infinity means that there are no boundaries on his qualities and existence. And uh, there's a passage here in Job I'd like us to turn to, uh, Job chapter 11. And looking at verses 7 through 9. Job chapter 11. And I'll read down uh, verses 7 through 9. Can you fathom the depth of God or discover the lim limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. And this idea of God's infinity, the fact that he is limitless in who he is, and what he encompasses in that. And then also uh, Psalms 147.5 um, is a little bit more familiar passage, but let's read it. 
Psalm 147, and look at verse 5. Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. And again, we see that um, the word of God proclaiming his, inf his infinity, if you will. Um, and then also uh, Psalm 90, verses 1 through 2. Let's look at that. Psalm 90, verses 1 through 2. Lord, you have been a refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. What a glorious statement. And that's actually from Moses uh, wrote that. And so we see his power, his knowledge, and all that is infinite in those areas. And that idea of, of who God is and what he is. So... Any thoughts or comments on that first passage and some of the things we went through? Any ideas in that? Okay. Um, let's go on to the second passage then, and that'll be in uh, Exodus chapter 3, and we'll re read verses 11 through 15. So we've had this introduction in these first uh, seven verses or so, and uh, ten verses, and now we see Moses' response. And again, I um, think it's interesting that while God recognizes as God, Moses recognizes as God talking to him, he challenges God. And um, I think that that's kind of interesting in that he does that and he almost argues with God and it's like here's this powerful being and you're sitting there arguing with God why would you do that and that it doesn't make sense and that yet he does so anyway let's read this passage uh, verses 11 through 15 um, Moses asked God who am I that I should go to Pharaoh that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt he answered God I will certainly be with you and this will be a sign to you that I have sent to you, uh, have sent you when you bring the people out of Egypt. You will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. What is it? Uh, not that. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So here's that, that quote, that one, I am who I am, uh, comes out in here. <clears throat> and there's a certain um, understanding of who this is. Uh, of uh, who God is when he makes this statement. It, it shows uh, a self-declaring statement about somebody. And we may see, you know, use a similar thing about ourselves. I might say, I am Randall, you know, and that's declaring who I am. And yet God says this about himself, and there's this idea of 
transcendence, which is uh, goes beyond the normal limits of what would be stated. And Moses or uh, God tells him this. Um, there's also this idea of Im, imen, uh, eminence. Uh, it's this intrinsic idea inherent of existing. It's his desire to share his name. It's who God wants to share of himself. And God is doing this. He wants to make himself known to his people and to this, this and particularly right now to Moses as an individual. And so uh, we see that in here. We see Moses' first question, you know, the idea of who am I that I should go, you know, and it might be one that we would say. But God wanted to choose him. He chose him for the purpose. He recognized something in Moses that he wanted to use. And we see that through the life of Moses that goes on. The uh, other uh, doctrine that I'd like us to, to look at, it's in your notes as well, God is transcendent. And that's this idea that God is distinct from and independent of his created world. And um, we see that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He created the heaven and the earth. He's not part of it, but he created it. He's above it. He's beyond it. And, that. and then also we see that of Christ in uh, Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. And um, sure, let's take a look at it. I think that's important. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. And uh, one of the... Uh, current teachings that you have in all the New Age religions and meditation and all these things is that God is in everything. An idea of uh, polytheism that... Um, in that and this these verses clearly teach against that and it's important that we recognize that hinduism is one that, that lend themselves to that that uh god is a spirit therefore he's in everything um i think you gals saw that when you were there in in nepal and in india you know it's very common and uh so to uh be a, understand where we stand on it it's important that we look at a verse like this that God is transcendent he's overall he's outside of the normal if you will normal limits of our understanding but he transcends it all in that I heard uh, one phrase it's like it's an overarching um, thing you could almost think like a, a rainbow overarches you know you could use that maybe as an example or a metaphor to think about transcendence Anyway, starting in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1, and this is talking about the centrality of Christ. It's also talking about his, his uh, the idea that he's above all of this. He's not in it, but he's above it all. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have him, all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to him by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So in this passage, we see God's transcendence. We see the fact that he is not a spirit that indwells this bench. In Hinduism, there would be a spirit that lives in this bench. 
you know, and, and we don't have a God that's like that. Uh, we have a God that's above all, that created all this for mankind as well in that. And it's uh, going back to Exodus chapter 3 there. Uh, one of the things that they uh, brought up in this is God's simultaneous transcendence and eminence is a distinctly, distinctively Christian way of understanding how the universe works. There's an all-powerful, mighty God who is also infinitely involved in our lives. God is holy. God is near. This is the God whom the children of Israel needed, and this is the God whom we all need. So we, we can see that in how he's interacting with Moses here as well. One of the points that's in the, in the notes there too is this uh, on this phrase, I am who I am, is uh, God is, is uh, telling us that I'm always who I've been. I'm consistent in what I am. I am uh, not shaped by others. I'm not shaped by hands that have done that. In uh, Romans, it talks about making idols, you know, out of wood. And then we, we shape them, and then we also take the... We shape this piece of wood, but the piece that we split off, we go ahead and we burn, and that, which is kind of weird when you think about it. Uh, but he's not a God that was that way. He isn't shaped or he's not created by somebody else as well. And so that's uh, something to, to recognize when he makes this declaration, I am who I am, and that. Um, any thoughts on that? Any questions on that, comments? Make sure I'm getting where I need to go there with it. <laughs> okay. Um, one of the current things in our society that we've seen, and they make mention of it here, is that oftentimes when we're left to our own ways of interacting with people and establishing our own identities and what we want to do, and we certainly see that with the LGBTQ as well as um, a lot of other things that are going on in our society and culture, is we almost always enslave ourselves and others. We, we take ourselves down a road, and I know that there's been um, several testimonials I've heard and read about men that were um, in the uh, transgendered, uh, and then they came to saving faith, and they say how difficult it was to get, how um, difficult it was to live in that kind of environment because people embraced it. They wanted them to go down that path and yet it was detrimental to them. They became suicidal and uh, all those other kind of things. But once they came to Christ, it was totally different. There was a lifting of it, well, a burden off their back. And uh, their testimonies were quite inspiring and quite encouraging. One made national news was down in Australia because as an early, as a young boy, he had been pushed toward that. Um, uh, and he said it was sad and he hated to see other you know, youngsters at an early age being pushed into this kind of a movement. So for those of you who pray to that end, it's definitely something you should be praying about that that God can um, turn the hearts of some of these people that are so desiring this and pushing uh, such young people, even um, pre-puberty, uh, if you will, toward this, uh, toward this uh, kind of change in their lives 
and that. It's all because we're, we're left to our own devices. We, we don't want to recognize there's a God who cares for us and that. And so I think here again, is it's important to recognize that. Um, one of the, the things I think as we go through these, and I meant to mention it earlier, but I'll mention it now. As we go through these studies and we've looked at Adam and we've looked at um, uh, Abraham and we've looked at Isaac and we've looked at Jacob and we've looked at Joseph, their lives, we can see how we mirror them. I know a lot of times I've read those scripture passages and I've gone, wow, how could they make that mistake? How could God go up? How could Adam do what he did? Or how could Cain would he do what he did? You know, I mean, he was right there in the presence of God and yet he, you know, did what he did, you know, and he murdered his brother. And then he's standing there arguing with him. I think, I don't think, I know that God gives us these pictures, these uh, biographies of these people because that's who we are. That's who we are in all these pictures. We're capable of that same thing. Their lives mirror us, just like um, in our society, you know, we can relate to people. And that's what we should do when we look at these characters in the Word of God. Recognize that they're real people, that they, they lived and breathed, they put their pants on one leg at a time, you know, all that good stuff, or their robes or whatever they wore, you know, and that, but they they mirror us in how we, we would react to a situation. Instead, we, you know, we don't want to be too critical, but we need to recognize that God has given them to us as examples for us and that, and to, to learn from them, but also not to um, uh, condemn them too much, but rather to learn and to, to say, oh, wow. And that's why, as I was reading the story of Moses, and he was talking about, you know, well, I can't talk and I can't do that. I'm thinking about myself up here trying to teach Sunday school is that I can really relate to Moses at this point, you know. But I think it's, it's, uh, it should be comforting to us that God has taken the time to meet us where we're at. And you see that in all these stories. God met each of these individuals where they were at. He didn't put them out. He didn't say, oh, you come to me. But rather he said, here I am. And he went to them. And so I think that's very important for us to recognize in that. Let's go on to the third point. And then we get into here uh, a little bit more about Moses arguing with God. And that will be found in uh, Exodus chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. Then Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you? The Lord said, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. Then he said, throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground and it became a snake. Good response. Moses ran from it, but the Lord told him, stretch out your hand, grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand, caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And so we see God re giving him the power and the ability to, to deal with the questions that may come up. There's, uh, as you go on in this story, and we'll, I'll read verses 6 through 8 um, of Exodus chapter 4. I want to make a point of it, and you have it in your notes as well. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak. He took it out. 
His hand was diseased, white as snow. And that would be leprosy, by the way. Then he uh, said, put it back inside your cloak. Put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it had become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe the evidence of a second sign. And then also, uh, let's look at verse 9 there. And, and if they don't believe even those two signs or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, the water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. And in the notes, um, I'll just read it. They do a, I thought it was interesting how they made that, and I think it's something that we can all relate to. Um, in the, I think it's the last part of the, the three commentaries I gave you there. These three signs the Lord gave Moses pertain to the areas of common human, human vulnerability. Attacked by other creatures, we're vulnerable to that. We're always afraid of it. If you go out, I know I go out mountain bike riding, and I'm always worried about bears so uh, or lions. Illness, none of us want to get ill. Many of us have illnesses, and we don't like that. And then the need for water. We all need that idea of water and that. So all of these are under the sovereign power of the Lord. The signs became a pattern in exodus of actions that are intended to prompt faith and obedience. And that's what God was trying to do with Moses there, was get him to depend on him, to uh, understand that he would take care of them in what they were to do and that. Um, let's see. So as Moses is taking these steps, this is how God tends to work. He invites people to trust him, to step out in faith. And when we do, he is there to supply the power. And that's what he was asking of Moses. That's what he asked us to do in our lives, is when we come up against scriptures that challenge us, is that we need to trust him for it and take that step of faith to move forward in that direction. Right now, Areola Bible is asked to take a step of faith, and that's in finding a new pastor. It would be easy to take the first two or three that came across our, our um, uh, through the mail or through the emails and act on them and say, oh, this will work. He's good. He's charismatic. You know, he's not asking too much. He's wanting this and that. But instead, we've, we've taken the time to, to look at some of the theological issues. You know, we've looked at some of them, and, and they're not on the same path that our church is. They're, they, they go down a different path of about... Uh, this theological point or that theological point. And some of those you could say, ah, they're not that important. But one thing's going to lead to another. And we're asked to step out on faith, and God is saying, trust me, I will provide. And I know for all of us within leadership, that's what it's been. It's been this act of faith and trusting God to provide the man of God to lead, uh, to act as the chief shepherd here at Ariola Bible and that within the human context obviously our chief shepherd is jesus christ and him alone but uh that head pastor that head elder if you will and uh, so continue to pray for us continue to recognize that we see god leading us and then we're trying to be patient into that end as well so um let's see One thing that as we uh, see in verse uh, 10 of Exodus chapter 4, there is some irony um, in that. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been 
eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant, because I am slow and hesitant in speech. And there's certain irony in that, if you will. And then Yahweh said to him, God, who made the human mouth, who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind, is it not I, Yahweh? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. And then Moses goes on, please, Lord, send someone else. He's trying to pass off his, his idea of responsibility in that. And that's not what God wants us to do. When we're given responsibility, we need to say, okay, Lord, we will do it. I will do it. I will step into that position and do what you want me to do. And so let that be a, a reminder and an encouragement to us all that God wants obedience more than he wants ability. He wants us to obey him. And uh, I think it's crucially important that we recognize that. Um, that's about all I had. Is there any other comments? Yes. Sure. Yes. Good point. Last week we talked about Mary, her obedience, her willingness as a young lady um, to say, I'm your servant. I'm your slave. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do in that. And here we have Moses um, standing next to a burning bush arguing with it, which you got to think about. It's got to be a little comical if you're standing back about 100 yards to see this man arguing with a bush. But anyway, um, but he was sincere, too. He recognized God, and yet he still was so caught up in himself that he didn't want to submit to God's authority even in that application so I think again we see that example and it's not to be critical of Moses but to recognize how often Moses is in us how often we're that same individual that's like ah, I don't want to do that yes Cheryl yes yeah Yes, to use. Absolutely, in that. Good point. She, uh, Cheryl brought out the point that the abilities that God has given, what is that in your hand is a question she had, God had to Moses at that point. So, Any other thoughts or comments? Before I close? Yes, Beth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Fighting him. Yep. Yes. And uh, uh, Beth brings out the point that, that um, 
God is a comforter. He puts us out of our comfort zone a lot of times, and yet he's there with us. He doesn't just send us out on our own, but he's there with us. He's interacting with us. He's empowering us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Moses um, did at some point in his life. I, you could argue that when that took place, but, um, but you know, he, he acted in God's power. And then also the fact that um, God is specific in what he told Moses. And we have that truth, too. We have the entire scriptural record to give us the rules, to give us the, the direction that we need. And we have the Holy Spirit in our life, and that's what Christ told us, that if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit can't come. But if I leave, I'm going to send this comforter. I'm going to send this, this teacher, this counselor. And that's all the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's the other fascinating thing is, is God dwells in us. You know, it's not, it's not a, a minor point of theology. It's not a, a, an aside. It is God dwelling in us when we accept Christ as our Savior. That is the difference that is, separates us from the Old Testament, is God dwelling inside of us, not dwelling in a bush for a time period that I can argue with, but rather it's God inside of me. Please recognize that and see the significant difference it is to these Old Testament characters. And the fact that we have that confidence, that boldness that exists as a result of that. And we have the truth of the Word of God. Moses didn't have this. Moses didn't know his life was going to turn out in chapter 6 the way it did, or chapter 7, or book of Deuteronomy, or that he was going to be an example later on in the book of Hebrews. He didn't have that. All he had was the day-to-day. And yet God shows us and gives us, we still have a day-to-day. I don't know what the rest of this day is going to bring about, but I have the truth of the word God, knowing that God is in control and that, because I can see the examples that God has given us there. So very important. Thanks again, Beth. Thank you for those others that commented. Thank you, Cheryl. So is there anyone else? If not, then I'll go ahead and close in prayer. I appreciate you guys sharing. Yes, Mike. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He provides for him. Yes, and that thing. Michael brought out the point that even though God got angry with Moses, he still provided what he had asked for. And as a note to that, also, if you, as we go on in the story, you'll see that Aaron actually said very little. It was Moses that did all the talking as you go through the record. And that every once in a while Aaron said something, but it was more like a, oh, by the way, Moses, type of thing, not like he was a chief spokesman, but actually it was it was Moses that did most of the challenging, if you will, as time went on in that. So Yes, yeah. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Thank you for bringing that out, Michael. I appreciate that. It's good to have you and your bride here, too, and that. It's good to see you guys in the church. I'm sure mom and dad love it, too. So anyway, and that. So anyway, let's close in a word of prayer. 
Father God, we thank you as we've uh, been able to look at the life of Moses as you called him, you met him where he was at, and you answered his questions. You, you encouraged him and you gave him the ability to do what he had to do here. And uh, as we start working our way through the book of Exodus, we thank you for the, this example. We pray, Lord, that we can take the truths of the word of God, take what's being taught here, and to uh, use it to our lives as we go on through this book now. Thank you for what your son has provided for us. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, Father. In Christ's name we pray, amen.